Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. It's National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, and my guest today on the program is Megan Hansen. She began her career as a Teach for America Corps member and then spent several years working with community-based programs at neighborhood centers. She left her most recent role with Baxter Healthcare to focus full-time on RPL Association, which we're going to get to more here in just a moment. She holds a BS in Biomedical Engineering from Duke University and an MBA from Kellogg School of Management. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so uh, honored to be here. Thank you for inviting me. What can you share with our listeners about your own journey with recurrent pregnancy loss? Yeah, so my husband and I started trying to build our family back in 2015 and unfortunately have gone through a series of six uh, first trimester miscarriages and through, you know, over the course of time have been seen by a number of fertility specialists tried a number of different therapy solutions, but are definitely sitting within that bucket of what's considered unexplained recurrent pregnancy loss. So are now at the point where, you know, our our care teams have utilized all the known tools and diagnostics available to them. And there's nothing else that we could try differently to really expect that the outcome would be different. So at this point, we are pursuing parenthood via gestational surrogacy, and have decided not to try to continue to conceive ourselves. What is the RPL Association? This is something that you're now fully vested in based on your journey. What can you tell us a little bit about with that? Yeah. So Recurrent Pregnancy Loss Association, we started after our sixth miscarriage. And so coming out of that experience of having unexplained recurrent miscarriage, we wanted to to do something. It was a frustrating and sad position to be in. And so we spent a lot of time thinking, well, what can we do with this? Do we do we just raise awareness and talk about it? We felt like there were a lot of good community, social and emotional supports available, but we really wanted to find answers, the answers that we didn't ourselves have. And so what RPLA is, is a patient led patient-focused organization, but one that's really focused on supporting and advancing research and partnering with the medical and scientific community to do that. So our mission is to eliminate recurrent pregnancy loss through the advancement of research and support families that have gone through this experience and raise awareness for them and in an effort to find solutions. How long did it take to get uh, RPLA to where it is? To where it is now? Really? How, how did it? How, did, how, how long was it from like inception to actual launch? Yeah, that's a good question. And I like to where it is now. I still, I'm like, we're such a baby. We're such a baby nonprofit still. We're still in like in our infancy uh, within the nonprofit space. But we, so we incorporated in 2019, but we didn't really do any work on the organization until last year. So last year was really when a lot of the groundwork was put in place to get our programs off the ground. And so that was like launching the website and starting to create our presence and really network heavily to try to find expert advisors. And we've got some really great medical advisors that have helped shape our strategy. And then the big news this year has been that we got our 501c3 formally. So that was you know, that's a big win for any nonprofit. So we've got that that formal tax exemption and are through that like initial startup phase and starting to enter more of the like sustaining and growth phase. 
So it's so far, it's been two years since incorporation, but more like one year, one and a half of work uh, and growth. <laughs> you mentioned that you've collaborated with specialists and people very high in the field. How do you even get started on that? <laughs> How do you network that way? <laughs> Um, to be really honest, I spend a lot of time stalking people on social media, um, <laughs> which I joke, but it, that is kind of how it was. So one of our advisors, Dr. Winifred Mack, she's been on our scientific advisory committee really from the beginning, and she has a blog that anybody can follow. It's Miscarriage MD. And so I reached out to her via Instagram, told her what we were trying to do, and she, you know, she was very open with her time and her advice and. She was instrumental in also helping us form relationships with ASRM and putting us in touch with the right people because she, she, at that point, I think she still is the uh, head of the early pregnancy loss subcommittee within ASRM. And like the other folks, it was very much the same way. It's like I, I attended the Congress last year and listened to a session that Dr. Dana McQueen had done and was like, okay, is she active on social media? Great. And reached out to her via direct message as well. So a lot of it has been just cold emails, cold messages. And then once establishing those relationships, finding, asking, you know, who else to be connected to and any introductions. So it's, it's grown a little organically, but I do spend quite a bit of time searching people out in the ethers of the internet. (laughs) Social media for the, for the win. It, it's it's a exactly. rare thing to say, but yes, in this case, it, it, it worked out like it was supposed to work out. This is how, how these things are supposed yeah, to Yeah, exactly. And it's been interesting for me, too, because I would not say that I am personally a very active social media user, follower, or anything like that. And so, and, but, and, and in some ways, I almost feel like that was a miss for me when I was going through my years of treatment, because just like there are physician influencers now on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, there are patient influencers uh, in this community and people that are really doing a lot of work to create those spaces to kind of share and grieve and support. And I never took advantage of that when I was in the earlier phases of this. So, you know, Sometimes I think back and I'm, I ask myself, like, how would I have found, how would I go back and find that person that's me that was really looking for this community, but didn't know that it existed and on these platforms. It's, so it's been a, a, a treat and a, and a learning. And I think it will change the way that I think about sort of my, my care and where I find communities going forward. I want to stay with this idea of community real quick and ask you, you know, physicians, of course, are part of our listening audience. And what current coping strategies, especially now as we move from the pandemic, can RPLA suggest to physicians to to help patients? Or are there updated resources? That's a really, that's a, a good question. And I think that the pandemic has made us all feel miscarriage is already an extremely isolating experience. And then the pandemic on top of it, I think, added to further feelings of isolation. So I think one thing I would say is I think that grief and loss are things that everybody is uncomfortable talking about. It doesn't matter. It's it's society is uncomfortable talking about it. And so I can imagine that it's also uncomfortable for a physician or an other type of care provider to be talking about it with their patients. And my advice would be to like lean into that discomfort and, and address it because sometimes 
I think when you're in a dark place, when you're really grieving, you don't know where to turn to for help and for resources. You don't, maybe you don't even think that you need it. And I would say doctors and nurses are in a position to continue to ask about it, to continue to assess, to probe, to see, you know, how how are you handling this? How are you dealing with it? And what can we do to help connect you to things that might be helpful? That's the biggest thing is ask and offer resources. I would hope that everybody is doing that, but I'm not sure that they are. I'm speaking with Megan Hansen, a co-founder of the RPLA, and we are going to link out in our show notes to all of these websites and resources mentioned on the program today, plus a slew of others. So uh, listeners, please access our show notes and you can just click on the links and it will take you where you need to go. Uh, Megan, one last question for you today. I was combing through the website and looking at all these really interesting resources you guys have. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what is the Misbehaving Uterus blog? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Misbehaving Uterus is my my personal blog. So RPLA is is an organization that I've created more for the, the community and to try and, you know, put, put together support programs and programs to help support science. Misbehaving Uterus, on the other hand, has been my my way of healing myself, I guess, and telling my my journey and putting it out there and working through a lot of the feelings that I had bottled up for a number of years. So misbehaving uterus is a little, sometimes a little cheekier and more opinionated than the organizational personality, but it's my little illustrated cartoon of my my uterus, which has not done everything that I wished she would have done but also my effort to kind of work through and articulate a lot of the the feelings, ups and downs that I experienced over the six years of this family building journey. She's still, I'm still writing. I, uh, not quite as, not with the same level of frequency, but I am still posting there. And I think I will continue to, I just think it it will be something that probably ebbs and flows uh, based on what phase I'm in. And of course, there are a number of other blogs, if I'm not mistaken, that are that are also there. There are well, out out in like the space, there are there are a number of bloggers and people that I follow, and they either they either put their blog directly on Instagram or they have a separate site where they they blog and post to. Misbehaving Uterus is just mine. I would say on our Instagram for the organization, we do a lot more linking to other resources and like reposting things and following other other people that are actively blogging about their experience. But yes, the, the Misbehaving Uterus is like at least my personal story. So people are welcome to read it and hopefully relate to it. But we all go through that. You know, I think anybody goes through this experience a little differently. There are some nuances that connect all of our journeys, but, um, or I guess some big themes that connect all our journeys. And then there are a lot of nuances that are very specific and personal to, you know, your, your age, your stage of life, your cultural upbringing, your religious background, what have you. Megan Hansen, it has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much for taking time out to be with us on the program. Thank you. I'm Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM. ASRM Today Series podcasts 
are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.